Welcome Listen to Simple Theology, theology. a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian, of the Christian faith. faith. Christian faith. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, that was a little rough on my part. Yeah, yeah, well, it was. we can dub your voice over mine. That works totally. out well. Yep. Uh, I'm Robert Kane. Hey, Robert. Uh, glad you're here. Welcome to my show. Yeah, uh, good to be here, Rick. My name is Rick Gromlick. Um, and uh, I have a show I call Simple Theology. No. And, uh, just glad you could be here today. Happy to be in your studio. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry my floor is so cold. Apology accepted. Yeah, I meant to bring a, a blanket over. <laughs> <laughs> Not a carpet or a rug. Yep. Anyway. Inside joke from last week's episode. Yeah. I thought it was this morning. <laughs> yeah, we recorded oh, it that's earlier right. today, but that's right. Anyway, yeah. Hey, back at it. Back in studio. Back in the saddle. Uh, glad you guys are with us. Got a little different episode for you today. First of all, as I said last episode, Rob does have a special announcement for us. Rob, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners your special big life thing? I really don't know what you're no, referring to. No, stop being modest. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring Rob to. Rob always has that like, nervous, not sure to say laugh. I feel like every time you bring this up, you're trying to get me to say that Danielle's pregnant, but she is not pregnant. <laughs> With twins. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I actually wanted twins starting well, off because I thought for you, she's got twins I thought, now. shoot, man, you know, Jay one, price one, one nine month <laughs> session, one hospital bill, one. No, they probably bill you twice. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure the bill's a little bit more expensive, but it's not going to be as much as two trips. Oh. And I was like, shoot, if we can get two for one, then that is that's the way forward. But that did not happen, which is just a sign of God's love towards us because <laughs> it would have destroyed me. Uh, Why is that, Rob? Uh, one me. one kid is a lot harder than what I had anticipated. I had this conversation with a guy earlier. We'll get to the to our, our show stuff, but we were talking about first kid compared to like your second, third, fourth kid. Yeah, and how that first kid really is harder than like the third or fourth or fifth because it's like your whole world changes. Yeah, everything's shifted. And um, by the time you have another kid, even though it's a, a big adjustment, it's not the same radical life-altering change. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. So, so anyway, um, hey, welcome to today's today, episode. I'm looking at the show notes that Rob has prepped for us, and we have absolutely nothing there. Yeah, so look, look at the screen, baby. I'm, I'm right here. It's nope, right different screen. Oh, that's the not my screen, screen. <laughs> Okay, looking at the screen. Topic today is mailbag. Yeah. I know it's Martin Luther King Day. As we record this. Well, I was going to say, Rick, it's hey. not going to be Martin Luther King Day. Hey, as we record this, we're working on Martin Luther King Day. That's the point. Yeah. Your mailman, you know what he's doing right now? He's not working. Oh, He's man. taking his day off. You know what Rob and I are doing? We're bringing you the mail. Mm. That's what I like what you did there. <laughs> that's what we're doing. That was good. I didn't see where that was going. I was like, is he really going to critique federal employees on this podcast? Those who are still working, actually. <laughs> we appreciate you. And the ones who aren't working, but yes, the mailmen are off today. Enjoy the rest of the other federal workers who aren't working. Yeah, we're at it for you. Yep, we Faithful are. Full listeners, we are indeed. Kick us off, Rob. Okay, so we have a few messages from our listeners, and guys, seriously, thank you for sending these in because we give you an outlet to do that on our website. And we, for a while there, we weren't seeing much, and now we're seeing yeah. a ton. So you guys are great. Pour it in. Thank you for doing that. Continue to send them in. We do. Um, make every effort to get to them. And so that's what this episode is. So initially we wanted to devote like an entire episode to everyone that was brought in, but we just, we don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that. So we're going to try and touch on a few of these today, but keep sending them in and we will address them. Some of them may end up being complete episodes. So anyway, what, which one are we starting off with? 
Okay, we're starting off with this one from Preston. Right? Is that what we're doing? Sure. Okay. Preston. <laughs> he uh, he sent in saying that it would be cool to compare and contrast the different views of a thousand years in Revelation 20. Yeah, he thinks this would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, Rick, do you have Revelation Pre- 20? Is that ready? Preston is uh, seeking some wisdom, and also, like, he knows this is a little bit con- contentious. Yeah. Revelation 20 deals with the millennial reign of Christ. Yeah. Um, this is... As Revelation 20 talks about, this thousand-year reign of Christ. And yep, I think you can just do Revelation 21 sev- through 3. Yeah, several different... Um, 1 through 3, while you go ahead and read then. Are you there? You want me to do it? I'm not there yet. Okay, I got it. Revelation 20, starting in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Good stuff. Thank Good you. Stuff. I think the also four through six deals a lot with the millennial reign. If you want to just read through six. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Continuing on, verse 4, Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God who had not worshipped beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Yes, and then seven. When the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations. Yep. That's kind of the... Those first seven verses of Revelation 20 deal with this thousand-year reign of Christ uh, on the earth. Yeah. So um, So with that, thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Tune in next time. No, uh, so Preston, great question, man. And anyone who has this question, we would uh, refer you. There's all kinds of good resources, but a good accessible one that kind of gets right to the point is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Dr. Wayne Grudem to you. Yep, Dr. Wayne Grudem. You can find this in chapter 55. It's called The Millennium, so the thousand years. It's pretty thorough. Yeah, exactly. So there are uh, three, if you want to think of three buckets, there are three big views. The first one is amillennialism. Get in a bucket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll read like a, a brief synopsis of what that is, and then Rick, if you want to comment on it. This is mailbag, yeah. so this entire episode can't be about this, so we're going to go through yeah, this pretty quick. Yeah. But amillennialism, according to Grudem, um, which we think is a good example or good definition, I should say, not example. Uh, He says, this is an age in which Satan's influence over the nations has been greatly reduced so that the gospel can be preached to the whole world. Those who are said to be reigning with Christ for the thousand years are Christians who have died and are already reigning with Christ in heaven. Christ's reign in the millennium, according to this view is not a bodily reign here on earth, but rather the heavenly reign he spoke of when he said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. 
This view is called millennial because it maintains that there is no future millennium yet to come. That's the important point. There's no future millennium yet to come, according to this view. Since millennialists believe that Revelation 20 is now being fulfilled in the church age, they hold that the millennium, quote-unquote, described there is currently happening. So they would say that the, the thousand years that uh, Revelation 20, which we just read, are referring to is actually the current age. It's not necessarily a an exact thousand years. It's just kind of a long age, and it's currently happening. And a lot of really respected theologians that we look up to and that we glean from fall into this camp. Yeah, I think it's, it's good in that... Um... And we're going to go through these three kind of different categories. And all millennial, all mill, all millennialism is definitely one of the most popular. Yeah. Um, it's not as, uh, has been as round or as popular as long as uh, pre mill, pre millennialism. But yeah, it's just, as Rob said, this idea that it's between the two advents of Christ. It's more of a, just an idea, not a literal thousand-year reign. Yeah, um, and, and since we're keeping it simple, the advent of Christ being the first time he came, good, yep. um, in which we read about in the Gospels, and then his second coming when he returns as king and establishes his kingdom forever. Yeah. One of the one of the issues, and we won't get into a lot of details, but just saying this is a metaphor the two between the two comings of Christ, is there's a lot of prophecy that has to be fulfilled um, for this to happen, and without saying this prophecy will be fulfilled, but rather it leaves it more nebulous and open for a wide interpretation, which is which is a struggle. The other issue that some people have with all millennialism is it to, to believe that would be that Satan is bound or somehow prohibited um, in this time. And we see that clearly in Revelation 20. And a lot of people look at the world and say, you know what, it does not look like Satan has been bound or prohibited in our day and age, but he's very active and hard at work. Yeah. And one of the things that, I mean, I, I, there have been times where I've thought like, oh, maybe, maybe millennialism is the right view. And who knows? Maybe it is. I mean, at the end of the day, we'll find out when it happens. This is something that you should take a position on because it's important. Um, it is something that is in scripture and that we should, we should have an opinion about these things. However, it is not a close handed thing or something that we, a hill that we should necessarily die on. Um, but one of the, the things that I just have had a tough time with amillennialism is in that passage of Revelation 20 when it talks about um, how those who are in Christ will be resurrected and they'll reign with him. It, it, I'm not sure like when that exactly takes place in the amillennial framework. Yeah. I mean, do you have an answer for it? Is, is it something that I'm just overlooking? I'd imagine that there is an answer for it, but I just, it seems really tough to fit that in with the text. But we can't spend a ton of time here, so if yeah, you don't have something, I let's just move yeah, on. We'll move on. If you guys out there listening have something, then then feel free. Like, let us know. We're not we're not trying to say that we're experts. We yeah, are. exactly. We okay, so post millennialism. Then um, the prefix post obviously means after. So uh, post millennial means after the millennium, after the thousand year reign. And so they're saying that according to this view, Christ will return after the thousand years. And um, the, it says that the progress of the gospel and the growth of the church will gradually increase so that a larger and larger proportion of the world's population will be Christians. As a result, there will be significant Christian influences on society. Society will more and more function according to God's standards, and gradually a millennial age 
of peace and righteousness will occur on the earth. This quote-unquote millennium will last for a long period of time, not necessarily a literal 1,000 years, but a long period of time. And finally, at the end of this period, Christ will return to earth. Believers and unbelievers will be raised, the final judgment will occur, and there will be a new heaven and new earth. So that's post-millennialism. Yeah. Of the three, this is the one that I... It's the least popular. Yeah, I disagree um, with the most. And it's interesting. So this view of post-millennialism, um, they do not take more of a normal, literal interpretation of Scripture. There's, uh, They take more liberties with things, so it gets more confusing. People assign some of their own um, truth to it. So this view was, was popular at the end of the 1800s, going into the 1900s. There was the economic boom, um, famine, and... Um, just human suffering seemed to be going down in the Western world. The state of each individual seemed to be going up, and things were looking up. And people are like, yeah, I think this is it. Like, just keep progressing into a better society, and then Jesus will come at the very end of it. And then World War One hit. Yeah. And people were like, um, maybe this doesn't things matter. aren't getting better. Yeah, and that kind of threw post-millennialism off. And uh, then World War Two came in with the second punch. Right, exactly. So... And so then... Since that, it's been more all-mill or, or pre-mill view. Yeah, exactly. So the pre-mill, so if post-mill is the kingdom being established um, after the thousand years, Christ returning after the thousand years, then pre-mill is before. And so uh, the prefix pre means before, and the pre-millennial position says that Christ will come back before the millennium. Now, with, within this one, there are there's kind of a split. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's... The classical or the historical premillennium, premillennial, premillennialism. Premillennialism. Um, and it's a tongue twister. It is, but that states that after the time of tribulation, so that they're saying that Christ will return, um, and believers will be caught up with him, but that'll take place after the tribulation. That scripture talks about classic. Yeah, that, that's the classic yes. or historical, historical pre-mill. Because yes. it yes. seems to be that the the rhythm of Scripture, that the pattern of God's people is that they go through and endure suffering. Yes. And so I'd say that this talk of the tribulation, that there will be suffering. Um, and if you read uh, Grudem's chapter on here, there's, there's evidences that you can read about. Uh, but they're stating that Christians will go through the tribulation and then... They will be caught up with God, and then Christ will return and establish his kingdom. Now, the other camp, Rick. Yes, in, in pre-millennialism. In premillennialism, yes. yep. Yep. Is the, the what is it, pre-trib. Pre-trib. Yep, premillennialism. And this is also yeah. known as dispensational premillennialism because yes. it's primarily only held by dispensationalists. Dispensationalist. I'm struggling with my words. Dispensationalist? No, it's yeah. fine. It's late. Uh, I've been busy. We have. We're working on Martin Luther King Day. And it's cold in this basement of yours. It's um, chilly. So, yeah. So, the historical view is as a timeline. Think about, okay, the first coming of Christ. Then, you know, eventually cr- this time of tribulation comes that Scripture speaks of. Um, seven, seven years. And then... Um, Christ will ter- return the second advent. He will then establish his seven thousand or seven seven thousand one thousand year reign, where Satan is bound. There'll be a literal reign on the earth. Yep. Um, and then after that, there is the then complete and final judgment. Um, whereas dispensationalists who view 
they have different thoughts on on the nation of Israel and so forth. They yeah. think we will be um, raptured out pre-tribulation, and then after that tribulation, that seven years, then Christ will come and establish his thousand-year reign. Mm-hmm. There's also a view that some people say mid-trib, and that we will be yeah. raptured out mid-tribulation in the middle of those seven and a half years. Um, so quickly, that's those are the three views of the tribulation, or the, the, the millennium. The post-millennium, which says we will usher in this great time of success and prosperity, then Christ will come. All millennium, which all millennial millennialism, which says it's just a time between the two comings of Christ, and then premillennialism, which says that Christ will actually return and have a literal thousand-year reign on the earth. Uh, all three and, views have their issues. Um, all mill and pre-mill being the most sturdy, so to speak. Yeah. I think by a long shot. Yeah. Um, but even even in um, pre-mill, they, they, yeah. there are some people who would say that it's not a literal thousand years. Yeah. They would say it's just a long age. And th- there are some there are some trouble issues with premillennialism. It's the most literal interpretation of the text. However, there's some questions about how do how do non-believers get in there because there's a final judgment after that and how all that works, and um, how is it that Christ can have a literal thousand-year reign on the earth, but yet some people still reject him. Or when it says in verse 7, when the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go to and deceive the nations. How is there a thousand years reign, then Satan deceives the nations again? Mm, yeah. Uh, which I would just say uh, election, predestination, God's sovereignty speaks somewhat to that. But it gets really confusing. Yeah. But also to break it down, um, there's not a whole lot of simple things the reality is God is sovereign. He's over these things. I am a classical pre-mill guy. Or, as, as am I. Um, I kind of hope I'm, I'm pre I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's pre-trib. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Where I, we get raptured out before the tribulation, but just looking at scripture um, and church history, I don't see that happening. But yeah. hey, God's good. We trust in him and, and that's it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and here's the thing. We are simple theology. So guys, we are trying to keep it simple, but also we're just not smart enough to go yeah. too much deeper than and that. And we're trying to do justice to the topic. Yeah, but but pick up a copy of Grudem's Systematic. You'll find a lot of answers in there. Oh, there are there are other great systematics that are better in certain topics, but Grudem's, as a comprehensive one, does a really good job of, of breaking things down and, and making it accessible to really anybody. So that is the three views of the thousand years. Boom, there you go. Pressed on. Preston. Preston. Um, All right. Also, I will say, actually, one more comment on there. Yeah, go If for you it. go onto YouTube or DesiringGod.com, um, John Piper's church, not his church, but the church he served at for a long time, Bethlehem Baptist, they did a thing called A Night of Eschatology. Eschatology has to do with the end times. Yeah. And they had three guys on, and plus John Piper, and they just walked through these different views. Oh, wow. And it gets kind of confusing because they're like going through Old Testament passages, and they're talking about like really heady stuff. But it's actually, I've watched it three times. It took like wow. three times to kind of pick up on it. But it was good. It was good stuff. Yeah, so I believe it. check it out. All righty. Uh, Nathan, Nathan writes in and says, Hey, guys, love your podcast. Love the bands between you guys. Hey, Nathan, thank you. Thank you, Nathan. And the simple theology you guys deliver. One topic I would love to hear you guys talk about is... On Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> yeah, on Martin Luther King Day, we'd like to talk about is conflict within the church. How does God want us to deal with that in light of Acts 15, 36-41? How should Christians deal with each other in conflict? Is it a sin to be in conflict? Can God still be glorified in conflict within the church? Thanks, guys. Keep up the awesome God-glorifying work. Again, Nathan, thank you, man. Appreciate the encouragement. 
Um, Rick, you were looking at this a little bit earlier. Yeah. So do you have that ready? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this passage. It sounded like an uncomfortable laugh. Yeah, I was just, I'm looking at something in Titus, but Acts, <laughs> he, he acts about Acts 15, yeah. 36 and 41. This is a story um, about Paul and Barnabas. Am I right on that? No. Yeah, yeah, you are. Part, and they split, and they take yep. one takes Cephas, one takes John Mark. John Mark. Yeah. So this um, thing where you got two like major figures in the early church, and they have a dispute, such a sharp dispute that they actually separate ways. They go different ways. Um, we're not told a whole lot out of that passage. We do see later on, like next verse down, a few lines down, that where they their church did pray over. I think Paul and um, Silas. Silas. Paul and Silas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were in prison together too. Um, so anyway, how do we deal with this when there's the reality of conflict? Um, and, and with conflict, I want to make a, a distinction. There is a big difference between having conflict with someone and being in conflict. Okay. Yeah, elaborate so, a little bit. So Rob and I have at times, well, I don't know if we had much conflict, but like, we might disagree or have a dispute. Okay. Conflicting let's, viewpoints. Let's, well, let's make it a little personal. My wife and I, there'll be times where we're maybe having conflict over an issue. We're we're disputing. Maybe we're not seeing eye to eye. We're frustrated, you know, but it's not a huge deal. You let that continue on, and there's this heart of frustration. You begin to get angry. You're, you're beginning to have some sinful thoughts towards that person. I think now you've entered into conflict. Okay. Now, let me clarify i don't maybe it's you don't have to have sinful thoughts to enter into conflict but there's a shifting from we had an issue we had a little little spat here or no we are in conflict this is an ongoing thing it's deeper there's usually multiple layers to it yeah so there's a difference between it's almost a difference between being in conflict yeah it's almost a difference between like you and your wife maybe having a disagreement on an idea or a topic yeah and then it transitioning from that idea or topic to you're now opposing each other Kind of. Is that kind is that of. fair? Maybe, yeah, like, maybe like not. I can um, I can oppose someone's their idea or be frustrated with what they're doing, but then I, I let it go. It's you know we deal with it. It's a big deal. But if that if that feeling continues between a brother and sister and I, I know we're in conflict. Yeah. You know that's yeah. a good thing to be aware of because it's okay to to be in leadership or to be in ministry and, and be and have a conflict, but if you if you're in conflict. That's a problem. Um, so with that, with the church, you know, what do we do with this? Is it a sin to be in conflict? Well, based on what I'm saying, I think it's a sin to be in, stay in conflict. Mm-hmm. To have an issue, to have something come up like, okay, I disagree with that. Yeah. Um, no, that's absolutely not a problem or a sin. It's probably a good thing. Yeah. The question is, what do you do with it? Um, Titus 3 verse 10 says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. So this is to the church. This isn't Matthew 18, church discipline. This is someone in the church who's being divisive. You warn them twice, and then you, you separate from them. Mm-hmm. And this is how serious uh, Scripture takes divisive people. Yeah. Now, you can't just say, hey, you don't agree with my ideas. You're divisive. You know, you can't just throw that out there. This has to be a um, well-thought-out, legitimately divisive person. Yeah. Um, man. There's so many things to go with here because churches. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, are I mean, we're seeing like some serious conflict right now with with Harvest Bible Chapel. Yeah, and it's it's a shame. That's some be- sin. Yeah, because I've gl- I've gleaned a lot from James McDonald yeah. in the past. Yep. 
love that guy, but there, like there are some issues going on and we don't want to act like we know any kind of inside information. Like we know what we've been, we've what, read what, articles. Yeah. We've, what culture has yeah. been given. Okay. Yes. What society has been given through media. So we can come to whatever conclusions we want, but at the end of the day, we don't know all that's going on. But something we do know is what Rick just said there about, about being divisive. But then there's also First um, Corinthians 6 talks about lawsuits among believers. Mm-hmm. And so our conflict, if, it is, if it's within the church, if it's within the body of Christ, should never lead to uh, never maybe, maybe strong. And, and you can correct me here, Rick. But more often than not, it should not lead to having to be settled in the public courts. Correct. That's what Paul's getting at. And and there may be instances where where there's no other option, but it should be the very, very, very yeah. last option. Yeah. Yes. Should so. never be arrived too quickly. Um, so the question, how should Christians deal with conflict with each other? Um, I just, and this kind of points to this whole thing, the whole 59 one another's in the New Testament. Our, our guide on how we are to love one another, love one another, um, wash one another's feet, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, love mm. one another, stop passing judgment on one another, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, instruct one another, greet yeah. one another with a holy kiss. Um, Ew. <laughs> <clears throat> context, please. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. So, I mean, we can go through this whole list. It's this idea of putting others before yourselves. So, one, you need to you need to be humble. Yes. You be very humble. You don't need to be go talking to 15 different people about your problem. Maybe find one or two people who are wise, who are more mature than you, not just your buddies, but people who are more mature than you, and say, this is a situation. I need your counsel. And I, I feel like then you go to this person that you're in conflict with, and you, you apologize for anything you have done wrong. You ask for their forgiveness. You say, I, we want to you know, be the body and love one another well. We want to be able to take part in the Lord's Supper together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? If there's uh, conflict between you and a brother, then yeah. technically you're disqualified to take the Lord's Supper. So, and, and that's where it's hard because you can't pinpoint or define what that is. Like, I would say if there's a dispute or disagreement, those are things I don't think are worthy. But if there's, if there's, Sin in your heart towards a brother or sister, mm-hmm. and you're disqualified. Yeah, um, and that needs to find as well. It gets messy, but anyway, this whole heart of humility of being like Christ, coming to them, seeking to to reconcile whatever the issue is, even if you've been wronged, right? You, yeah, you know, it's, you don't have to say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I was wrong in all this," but you just, "Hey, we need to work on this. We need to fix this." So that's how you deal with one another. Um, I think God can receive glory through conflict. Because what the church does, only through the power of Christ, is says, hey, Christ lives in me. He forgave me. I want to forgive you, extend this grace to you. And then that person reciprocates back. And you don't see this in any other part of society. Yeah. It's only in church where people have been wronged. And maybe it's one-sided. They've been wronged. And yet they show forgiveness. They show mercy. Not because they're great or they're holy, but because they have been shown mercy. And God always gets the glory for that. Yeah, absolutely. Great opportunities for the gospel to shine brighter than a conflict. Shine brighter than a conflict? <laughs> shine bright like a con- not not like a conflict. Yeah, that's not like a diamond, right? I mean, yeah. Okay. Next question. Next one. <laughs> so Zach writes in, uh, you may do this, but these are two things I'm interested in. 
through listening to a different podcast, they claimed there is no hell. Can you guys talk about your support of it from Scripture? Maybe more apologetic talks would be cool to bring in, would be cool to bring in views you don't agree with and saying why you don't agree with them. Understanding what not to believe helps understanding what to believe. So the the primary thing, and Zach, I'm glad that you um, made the assumption there in your letter as to why, or in your note, as to why, um, or as to the fact that we do believe in hell, because we do, um, but the primary reason, because what this comes down to is your view of Scripture. Mm. And So we, what do you mean when you say your view of Scripture? You mean... I mean, what we an episode that we did a while back called Sola Scriptura, which is part of the Protestant Reformation, which... You know, you're getting lost, I think. Exactly. So we're getting into <laughs> theological terms, but... Do you what, believe Scripture is real, or do you believe the authority of Scripture or not? Exactly. So yeah. if, if you are submitting yourself to God, then you are submitting yourself to what he says. And if God's word is, in fact, the Bible, yeah. then we submit ourselves to its authority. And if we are submitting ourselves to its authority, then we are taking what it says and saying, me knowing that I was separated from God and I desired sin more than him, that I was depraved completely, or I was totally depraved, unable to save myself, not seeking after him, and yet he saved me from that, but I am slowly becoming more like him, then there are going to be things that I don't fully understand, don't fully agree with, that He's going to be working on me on. And yeah. one of those things may be this doctrine of hell. Yeah. And the scripture, we are not going to go through all the passages because there's too many of them that talk about hell. But if you have a pen and pencil, I'll give you like five seconds to grab one because I'm just going to list off a bunch of verses. And a piece of paper to write on. Oh, yeah. I said pen and pencil. Pen, yeah, I mean, pen and paper. Pen or pencil paper. Or pencil or and paper. Or chalk. Yeah. Or crayons. So I'll give or you... Sharpies. You've had five seconds. I'm going to go ahead and just give okay, you guys stop, these verses. About, if you need to pause this, pause it. If gave you five seconds, could you go and get a pen and pencil in five seconds? Probably, because I usually keep a pen in my pocket and a notebook on me. This is why Rob, people hate Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but you've had plenty of time now, and you can always pause this. This is a podcast, yeah. not a live program. So here are some verses that mention hell, and you could easily just Google what we're talking about here, and you can find verses that, that talk about it. But anyway, Revelation 21, 8, Revelation 20, 15, Matthew 25, 46, Matthew 10, 28, Mark 9, 43 through 48, Matthew 13, 50, Revelation 20, 14, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, Revelation 20, 10, Matthew 5, 22, Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, Luke 16, 19 through 31, Luke 12, 5, 2 Peter 2, 4, Matthew 25, 41, Matthew 23, 33, Revelation 19, 20, Matthew 13, 41 through 42, Acts 2, 27, Matthew 3, 12, we're going to keep going. How many do you have? Matthew 5, 30. That's it. Okay. Rob's going to put all those in the show notes for you, because if you're like me, one, you couldn't nearly write them down as fast as Rob was saying them. Well, there's this good thing this is a podcast, and they can just rewind. <laughs> rewind it 15 times. Yeah, exactly. But well, the, We will listen. I this. say all those, and there's more. But oh, like, yeah. I say those to make a point. I'm F- not, we're not going to um, go through all of them, but it is talked about 
dozens and dozens of times in Scripture to just say that hell doesn't exist and ignore that that kind of data set is just, I don't want to say ignorant, but that's probably an accurate word. Um, that's I mean it's it's really bold to just ignore that those kind it's of passages. heresy it's straight up heresy well sure yeah absolutely and, and so that's why go back to what Rob was saying like one if someone denies hell two things are going on they're denying scripture yeah and they're denying um, God that God is just his yeah. very nature so two things to deny those things is to deny God and um Massive, massive. So expound there. a little bit because that's a good yeah. philosophical argument. So we've given like the scriptural argument yeah. that people can look at, but that's a good philosophical argument in that God is just. So to deny hell would be to say that God is unjust. So explain Correct. that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I mean, God is, Rob just said, God is just. Just as we're saying God is love, God is truth, He is uh, a just God. And what we, we mean by that is to be a just God, there has to be punishment for wrongdoing. Right? So two things happen. Either Christ paid the price for all people, right? And then that makes the need for hell void. I mean, Christ has redeemed all people. But we know that contradicts scriptures that say clearly that those who reject Christ will spend eternity in hell. Um, However, we also know that as God is just, Christ did pay the price and, and was the atonement for some. Yeah. Right. Me, satisfying God's justice for that. The reason, the only reason I can have a relationship with God or not go to hell is because Christ has reconciled me to God. He has paid the price for my my debt. Yeah. Those who reject that offer, reject Christ, have to bear their own payment. Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death. Those who reject Christ, the free gift, deserve hell because that's just. So when someone says it's not fair, the fair thing is that everyone goes to hell for yeah. eternity. That's fair. But the, the fact that Christ redeemed and saved some, my bad. No, you're good. Saved some is grace. Yeah, incredible grace. So that's the whole this whole piece about denying God's justice and when you say, denying God's word. And when you say some, you're referring to all of those who have repented and trusted in Jesus as their Savior. Correct. So, so if you're wondering, because there's the the Calvinist debate, which we did an episode on that too. But if you're wondering, oh, I wonder if I'm part of the sum. Well, if you have repented of your sin and you are submitting to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then yes, you're included in that sum. Yeah. Because those, the only only people who are saved are those who have done just that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. Go check out that episode. But the reality is. We trust in Christ for our salvation, not our own works. Yep. We don't say, hey, you know, forget you, God, I can do this on my own, because mm-hmm. that leads us to hell. So yeah, if they're denying hell, there's a much bigger issue than just simply denying a doctrine. Yeah. The real issue is they don't like who God is. Yeah, they're denying what Scripture says, and they're denying God's the character. God, yeah. yeah. So... Thanks for the question, yeah, Zach. Great that question. Good. Hopefully, we answered it kind of, sort of. And then Zach also asked uh, something along the lines. Of, oh, sorry, one question. <laughs> yeah, of reformed uh, theology. Like, what, what, what do we mean when we say reformed? So, Rick, do you want to take that? Um, there's several components, and it, it kind of you get different answers from different people. Exactly. But if to paint with a broad brush, um, 
the term well the term comes out of the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther, yep. but to be reformed is to hold. I would say have a high view of God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, they hold to the, the the five points of Calvinism. They're Calvinistic. Um, traditionally, they are more covenant people, mm-hmm. um, not whereas dispensationalists are not covenant people. They have the different dispensations. Um, man, I'm trying to think. I mean, they're all... often confessional. Westminster, the yes, 1689. Um, I think that's what I meant. What did I say before? Covenantal, which which they're most of them are yeah, covenantal, covenantal. Um, but but I mean there's there's covenantal theology, there's dispensational theology, there's new covenant theology, there's progressive covenantalism, there's progressive dispensationalism. I I don't even know where you stand on this, Rick, but I I know you're not dispensational, but I would fall in the more progressive progressive covenantal camp. However, I haven't done a ton of, yeah, of, I don't, of stuff I don't, on that. That exactly. could change. Um, and, and that's where like some people would say that. I am not a, truly reformed because I am not completely a congregationalist. Oh, okay. So yeah. I, I know I know some people say you're not truly reformed unless you're covenantal. No, not congregationalist. That's Baptist. Yeah, that, I, that's why Coven- I hesitated yes. there. Yeah, um, exactly. Same thing. So when we yeah. say reformed, we are referring to reformed soteriology, which soteriology is a fancy way of saying the study of salvation. So when we say that we're reformed, we are referring mm-hmm. – to God's sovereignty in salvation, and if you want to want us to dig a little deeper on that, you can look at our episode on on Calvinism. You can look at our episode on, on election. Uh, we've done two, so we're not going to dive deep here. However, um, we do believe in God's complete yeah. sovereignty over all yeah. these things. Because as Rick said earlier, to be perfectly fair, we would all die in our sin because that's what we desire. We've all rebelled, but God, in His grace has chosen some yeah. to save. We, we did um, the Sola series, mm-hmm. and that was a good kind of getting to the heart of that. We did talk about the, the tulip, the five points. Yeah. We haven't done a, um, an app on just Calvinism or Reformed theology in general. Um, it's so, like, it's I know so it's a broad. niche, but it's also yeah. broad. Yeah. And, and there's there's tons of jokes about Reformed guys and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I will say, I will stop here and say a little bit of my story. When I began to understand Reformed theology, or some people called the Doctrines of Grace, Reformed Calvinism. Uh, when that started, I was very much opposed. I'm I was like, too. I do not like this. I think this is not the God that I was taught. This isn't the God that I understand. Who is this person who, you know, picks some people and not others and all this stuff. So it was very hard for me. And it took me years um, of wrestling having conversations with people, reading, listening to, to teachers and preachers before I just finally one day was like, you know, I mean, it wasn't one day, but over process, like, I think this is it. Like, it's just how do you, you have to deal with these passages? They're there. Yeah. And how do you how do you not deny the, God's sovereignty and how they connect together? So with that, um, I think that's the last one we have. Do we have one more? No, no that's I mean, it. No, that's um, it for now. But we are. We've got others on here, but we, we're already almost 40 minutes. Yeah, we got we got to shut this thing down. Shut it down. So, hey, thanks for listening again. Uh, just the old mailbag. Yeah, thank you so. guys, and please continue to be sending us stuff because yeah. we we really appreciate this. This helps us think through things. We are not the final authority. We are not experts, but we like to think through this stuff. We like to talk about it. It helps us grow. Hopefully, it's a blessing to you guys and helps you grow. But continue to send us stuff because we would love to work through it with you. I agree. 100%. We love to hear from you guys. And it's also fun. You know, one of the fun things about this 
side note as we're just tell me what some of the fun things about this with the mailbag are. I know we're running out of time, but no, I love it. Keep it going. Um, Robert, I've been doing this for a year. Yeah, that's crazy. And, to uh, think. Or almost a year, somewhere there. Never like all these people that are commenting and leaving us questions and interacting with us. Like we don't know any of them. These aren't people that yeah, we like them. have. For, I mean, there's like a few. Yeah, very few. Just few. Most of, we don't know who they are. Yeah. And you I, guys are I had no idea Seriously. how they heard about this. I don't know how, like, whatever. They, they've listened and they seem to be enjoying it. And Which it's is been crazy. Mind blowing. I don't um, know why you guys would ever enjoy yeah, a show I that Rick to is Rob. on. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we both threw anyway, each other yeah. in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that has been a blast to hear from people and just hear how we've been encouraging. Um, and there's been different times we talked about this where we're like, man, I don't like this. We've been going at this, putting a lot of time and effort into it especially Rob, um, it's like, is this worth it? Like, are we are we doing something that is worth all this time and energy? And then we get like a message or an email from somebody. It's like, yeah. wow, it's humbling. Thank it's you, really guys. Humbling. We really, appreciate you guys thank you, very thank much. You. Thank you. Especially those who support us on Patreon. <laughs> especially you guys. <laughs> no, but hey, we do love hearing from you, so please reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook at Simple Theology. We are on Twitter at Simple Theology underscore you can always check out the website, simpletheology.org, and interact. Leave us a question, something you want us to talk about. And you can do that through Twitter and Facebook as well. You can also support us on Patreon. Just look up Simple Theology. You can support us financially that way. Uh, always run the Audible trial. So go to audibletrial.com slash simpletheology. You can get a free audiobook. We get a kickback. hope it works out. Um, love hearing from you guys. Tell your friends. Yes. And, 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 and before we hop off here. And. I'm hey, pretty sure Daniel's when, pregnant. when this drops, the following Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And so we now know yeah. that it's going to be the Patriots and the Rams. Yes, yes. And poor Saints, they kind of got they kind of got robbed. And the Chiefs, that's a huge bummer for me. So this will drop heading into the Super Bowl. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Super Bowl week. So as we close off, just want to yes. say a strong, hearty. hearty. Go, go Rams. Patriots. No. Yeah. Go Rams. Patriots. No. Patriots. Tom Brady's the worst. Dude, he's not the why is he the worst? Because he's because he's clearly the best. Yeah. So I'm rooting against him because uh, it looks like we have a Pharisee here. <laughs> like, oh, who he can forgive sins. Go let's, Rams. Let's crucify him. This is a team that that didn't have a city supporting them, so they had to move. Oh, they to had LA. a city for supporting them. St. Louis, yeah, they did a really good job. Yeah, they just wouldn't buy a multi-million dollar. What's the population in St. Louis compared to L.A.? I'm just saying, I'm Cleveland just saying. still has a team. Yeah, yeah, well, how, the second one. Okay, <laughs> that's true. They're on round two. Go Anyways, Rams, baby. Go Patriots. You guys got it all the way. Peace out. Go Rams. Have a good one. Bye.